1: vetgurus at gmail.com to send us an email episode 272 thursday december the 15th mark 2022 and i'll tell you what i'm excited i'm looking forward to our annual christmas new year chat episode which as usual we won't have an agenda at all for it and we'll just ramble on which could go for 10 minutes a good go for two hours um so start thinking about something to chat about, Mark, during we'll, that.
0: We'll have to, yep, we'll come up with a... Not a that theme. we need too much to start the discussion. We we, we, we get there pretty much each week with uh, the barest of bones agenda. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll be fine. But I'm looking forward to it too. The time of year, the season, the bloopers, the whole kit and caboodle I'm looking
1: forward yes. to. Yes. I'll um, line up a few different types of ales, Mark, um, and we can have a bit of a a chat and a sip and a little bit of a reminisce about the, the year that was 2022, which is almost finished. And thank you to all our listeners. And thank you to our three main sponsors, Chemical Essentials, Oxbow Animal Nutrition and Microchips Australia. Um, we certainly value them. And also our patrons. You can go to our website, see our link to patreon.com and become a patron for as little as
0: 1 dollar australian a month it seems like a small amount but geez Brendan it does make a difference the 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 uh, support from our sponsors the support from our patrons it um it uh, does go to defray the the costs of a high quality production like this and um we <laughs> and, we we, we and appreciate I'll tell you all what, of the them.
1: Co- the costs have gone up a fair bit this year too um, with the, with the um, hosting production um, software etc so yes it, it does help And just think you get you've you've received 272 episodes of continuing education and you've given back nothing so so give us <laughs> throw us a bone throw us a dollar or two gee it's 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 worth it surely it's
0: worth it um, and it's very much appreciated you, so you brendan must... i've got a question for yes. you where have all the christmas beetles gone it is a good question um If I could pull up the article, I could tell you. So you need to jump into it while I access it. (laughs) Well, Christmas beetles, for those people around the rest of the world, are iridescent, often uh, tan-coloured. The underlying colour is tan. They're large beetles, about three centimetres long, um, and they're an iconic feature of the Australian summer, particularly... Uh, bountiful in December and January. Um, They've got this beautiful, you know, uh, refractive, reflective iridescence. Uh, You catch them in certain lights and they look beautiful. So they get their name, obviously, because they pop out around Christmas. One of the 35 species occurs over most of Australia. Um, But they're anecdotally, Brendan, anecdotally, um, there has been a drop-off in the number of beetles. Like many of our insects, there seems to be a genuine decline in the prevalence of the Christmas beetles across Australia. So um, the wonderful Associate Professor Tanya um, uh has set up a um, citizen science project uh, which uh, aims to give some bone to the the contention, give some skeleton to the contention that the beetles are dropping off by actually collecting data from all over Australia um, to see if they, first of all, can definitively show that the numbers have dropped. And maybe with that, um, that's one of the things about citizen science, that vast amounts of data can be generated um, from very, very... Um, disparate areas, and maybe some patterns will emerge, or some tendencies. Uh, um, the the beetles themselves often form a significant part of the diet of uh, um, large birds like currawongs and uh, and uh, our Australian magpie. Um, and maybe there's been changes in the number of those animals, the predatory birds, that um, insectivorous birds that are have um, been munching on them, maybe. Or maybe it's an insecticide problem, but this citizen science project hopefully will generate data that can be used to find out why. We don't see as many Christmas beetles, Brendan. You love a citizen science.
1: Oh, I really do, don't I? <laughs> episode, don't you? Um, looking at that article, Mark, did you notice... And we will link to the article at our website, vetgurus.com, for this particular podcast. The picture there of the Christmas beetle, the credit is Caitlin Henderson. Yes, of course. Our wonderful um, uh, friend, friend um, daughter of a good a friend of ours, uh, um, Alan Henderson, who we've known for many years. Excellent. Um, Good article, Mark. I'm not going to add any more to that, um, apart from the fact that I must admit I, I feel uh, inadequate in that I have had not downloaded the app that is mentioned there that you have, the iNaturalist app, and I have done that five minutes ago. So I will we'll be...
0: report. We'll we'll do a little review of the iNaturalist app in another episode, Brendan. Yes,
1: and I will take some pics of any Christmas beetles I see over the next month or so. And I think with that, we'll jump into our main topic this week, Mark, which is, wow, it's a bit of an interesting one, isn't it? It's illegal exotic pets. So we want to chat about, you know, what is the definition of an illegal exotic pet? Why are they kept? Where are they kept? When are they kept? And what do people do if they're brought to a vet clinic? So lots of good questions there, Mark. Let's jump into it. Why do you reckon they keep the muck? Um, now, let's let's cover that. Let me just cut <laughs> uh-huh. before, before you answer that question, I know you're hanging out to answer I that. I am. You are absolutely hanging out. Before you answer that, it depends on the region, the legislation yes. of the state, country, um, as far as which animals can be kept, which animals are legal or not
0: legal. And, and we are going to... Touch on maybe some of our local jurisdictions, but yes. we emphasise that um, we we ask you to refer to your uh, local, local and legislation and be aware. Unfortunately,
1: Mark, there are some areas in the world where there ain't much going on as far as legislation, and you can keep all sorts of all sorts of species, and it's virtually. Cut, blanche As far as you can grab anything and keep anything, which is, I think is unfortunate. So, Mark, why do people keep them? Why do you, what, what is the stereotypical person who would keep something they shouldn't that they know is illegal
0: in their country? Avarice. It's it's um it's a uh, I think it's not, I make I said one word as an answer, but I, I actually think it's a a complicated series of desires the desire to be uh the holder of something that's rare and exotic the same reason that people like gemstones or uh, exotic orchids or um a, a particularly rare stamp they there is this uh sense of power and authority that comes from um being the the owner the carer the the person who is in charge of something that's rare and unusual, um, and that um, you and I know that that it's a, a false veneer. That's not a real thing. That the care of uh, uh, um, a a rare and endangered animal that uh, that's not allowed to be kept is is just as hard and and uh difficult and the benefits that you accrue from it in terms of self uh in reflection and and uh, interaction with the animal they're the same whether you have a legal one or an illegal one i assert that those um the reasons for those animals to be illegal are biosecurity entirely justified reasons and 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 the reason that people flaunt them is because they don't understand them and they just want to be the holder of something rare
1: well i think you've covered that pretty well there mark yes i, I can't really add much but yeah it's it's stamp collecting is not <laughs> i put it it's it's and sometimes it's yeah I think I've put in that little note there mark it's a thrill of the chase there you know grabbing something that and fill in that thrill that you're keeping something that 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 you shouldn't really keep and that you're getting away and you're sticking it to the man or the woman um, of, of society that you're keeping these species and unfortunately they they are doing the wrong thing for a several different reasons that you touched on one of them mark um and but definitely wanted to have something that no one else has and and to puff out their puff out their chest and say look look at me I've got this um I've got a tiger I've got whatever and um not I good you know um so yes um and I think it's difficult isn't it had you know with and I know I'm generalizing here but Dealing with somebody, and we'll talk about the pros and cons, and, and how vets are presented with these animals. But dealing with that person who has that illegal pet, Mark, um, and trying—I mean, my my bottom line is, I try and I try and slightly introduce the topic to them that perhaps they shouldn't be keeping this pet, and, um, yes. and and various reasons why it may be may be a good idea not to have it, but um. I think you're banging your head against a a brick wall um, with some of these people because the exact reason why they kept
0: them is that, no, I want a tiger. I've got a tiger. I'm going to keep my tiger. And I think you're right. I think, um, and it is a really important point to make that the vast majority of people that you and I get to talk to in veterinary practice share to a significant part our our philosophy of um, caring for animals. And so it makes it easy for us to communicate things they may, may not know in the paradigm that they're trying to do the same thing that we would. But this cohort of people probably are not in, viewing the world the same way that we do. Um, and as a consequence, uh, I do think sometimes you're beating your head against a brick wall trying to um, communicate with them because they don't talk our language, Brendan. Yes.
1: Absolutely, Mark. So, how do they get get the mark? They're I'm an illegal pet of, yeah. the,
0: of the state, the country that they're in. How do they get it? I'm fascinated, but, like, you know, I've never had anyone wander up to me at the bar and ask me if I want to buy a tiger or... I'm, I'm often amazed at how it must happen, but I assume, I assume here, Brendan, um, that connections are made maybe via the internet and, um, and then uh discussions ahead uh maybe other illegal activity i know that here in australia we sometimes see various uh outlaw motorcycle groups hold illegal reptiles um i i, I assume that those transactions are, are piggybacked on the top of other um uh transactions of um of an illegal nature um so i think um there are a variety of ways they get them um uh, probably very similar to um, most illegal things. I do think that there's um, there certainly seems to be, uh, uh, you know, that international sort of trade. Um, and then um, I know that there's talk of, for example, one example in New South Wales, is uh is the presence of chameleons and um there have been allegations of people actually breeding chameleons in new south wales and and uh, and trading in those so i think there is also a bit of an underground local trading nature to the acquisition of some of these animals yep money that's
1: how they get it money 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 and i think it's still the case that the trade in you know, exotic pets and um, illegal pets is, you know, number three or four in the list of of the amount of money that's that takes place with the transactions. Mark behind, um, you know, illegal arms and and the human um, traffic traffic tra- tra- traffic of humans. Mark so that's certainly in the hundreds of thousands, if not the billions of dollars. So, you know, if there's money to be made, people will unfortunately. Make that money and um be trying to plug these things, so um you know we try to crack down on it to various degrees within states and territories um, and countries mark um via legislation, but you're never going to stop all of it mark um with that especially with that un- un- and you mentioned the underground sort of trading of it, and yes i've i've i have seen that in the past with the occasional ones that I've seen um that that there is a bit of a link with with certain groups um as you mentioned um with with these animals and i think there is it's a bit like the dark web mark um not that i've been on the dark web recently (laughs) but um I'm, i'm sure there's um bulletin boards for trade of these pets on the dark web for it so yes so Let's say one of these animals is not necessarily tiger bark and certainly in Australia here you mentioned one of the illegal pets is, is chameleons um, there's there's a, a large range of of especially birds and reptiles that are um, illegally kept kept non you know there's a general rule here in Australia for our listeners mark mm-hmm. most um, most if not all you know um, reptiles if they're not native they're they're illegal to keep as a as a Sort of overarching chin rule and and not much far, f- further behind that with our with our birds. But we also, you know, the, people forget about the legal trade in some of the other groups of species, like fish. Mark, you know, for instance, um, so. there, there
0: is a uh, um, it's amazing the amount of um, uh, you know people that are in the aquarium trade, and um, and there are some very good reasons not to import or trade in in particular species of fish the danger they present to our native species um and uh, and yeah you're quite right there's a significant uh, um, number of species that are uh, hold a, a, a high value to a particular type of hobbyist and so they're traded um on the down low as it were yep so you get the call in the vet clinic mark not necessarily a
1: tiger. It might be a snake. It might be a, a um, another reptile or a bird. And you assert it, whether it's yourself or the or the your other staff, that it is an illegal exotic pet. Mark, what's the what's the process? Um, can can veterinarians treat them? Um, do we treat them? Is it moral to treat them or not treat them?
0: I remember your... Brendan. There was a a conference, probably. About fifteen years ago, um, and this question, this specific question, was raised, and I was fascinated by the diversity of um, of opinion. I I would have thought that uh, we were all uh, basically thinking as one, but um, there are a number of opinions. I know the legislation, particularly in New South Wales, has changed over that fifteen years. So, fifteen years ago, there was some. Uh, I suppose discretion given to a veterinarian to uh, maybe prioritize animal welfare over biosecurity concerns. So um, they they uh, may elect to treat an animal, um, uh, maintain um, some confidentiality, and and not necessarily report um, something like that. I know the laws have changed since that time, and now there is an obligation on uh, veterinarians to uh, report that sort of um, that sort of thing. And so, there's not much in New South Wales, at, re- at least not much wriggle room room for wiggling out of the way. Um, if if those are a- gone,
1: I think the difficulty there is that I'd like you to sort of general opinion on this mark is that if if you have a veterinarian who does want to treat an injured you know or unwell animal um then it doesn't leave them as you say much wriggle and to deal with and it's a bit of a conundrum isn't
0: it it certainly is um and and i think the there once was a very uh you know a very strong defense that uh, your honor i was doing only the best by the animal, and in most instances, doing the best by the animal was a um, you know a fairly sound defence. Um mean, you could be um, reasonably confident um, that you're that you weren't going to suffer horrible consequences for treating such an animal. In fact, you might suffer more consequences for not treating them in the past. Um, but now it's the sort of what it, the net good that you might be saving the suffering of that individual animal that's been presented to your hospital, but how much more suffering are you causing if that animal introduces an exotic disease which changes the structure of the Australian uh, environment? Um, And so the legal pressure on veterinarians to not treat those uh, animals and to report them um, has definitely increased over time, Brendan.
1: Yes, yes. And as I hinted earlier on, I mean, one of my key sort of tenets of dealing with these um, clients, whether it's even just by a, a brief phone conversation with them, um, or if the animal was brought in for for that um, first aid treatment mark here in Victoria, is trying to get across to the to that client, to that owner, that, um, hey, perhaps it's not a good idea to keep this animal and, and list some of the reasons for that, including stressing the the point about um, you mentioned um, as, as far as the worry. You know, the leg- legislation as a general rule in most countries is there for a, for a good reason um, and that we don't want these animals um, released in, and breeding into the wild. We don't want them... Introducing um, potentially diseases into into native um, populations, or or pushing out native and competing with native populations of animals there, and um, but they may just ignore that when you when you mention that to them, um, and and just try. Then I may even try to scare tactics with them and say, look, you know, why why are you having this animal which you're hiding in your, you know, in your house or your garage and you're constantly under the threat or the worry that you know i'm going to get raided by the by the authorities um, for keeping this pet that i shouldn't be keeping why did it go there in that process i mean especially here in australia if we're talking about reptiles for instance we've got such an amazing incredible variety of animals that can be kept as pets legally um, all the all the and, and acquired legally, the, the native ones that um, overseas people would kill for and are often smuggled out of Australia legally, kept as illegal pets internationally. Um, why don't you concentrate on on having some of those as a pet? Then you can rest and relax because you're doing the right thing and you've still got an amazing animal.
0: So true, Brendan. So true
1: so it's it's frustrating and and yeah that, that I don't think that I'd have to double check on the current legislation here in in Victoria mark but as as far as I know and I may be wrong I have to look it up but it, it, it is not you may know what the legislation is here better than I do um, it is not compulsory to to report somebody if they do bring an illegal pet. Into a veterinary clinic, um, but morally, you certainly um, need to grapple with what you're going to do with that. And I generally mention, if I'm ever chatting to veterinary students or, or technicians or nurses, Mark, about this exact subject, I, I think it's a bit like other aspects of exotic pet practice. For instance, dealing with venomous reptiles, you need to have a clinic policy, and you need to have all the staff are clear in in what and how we're going to deal with that that phone call, somebody phoning up and saying, look, I have an iguana um, that I want to bring in and iguanas are illegal as pets in Australia. Um, what is the, the response to that
0: phone call? My iguana is sick, I need it treating. Um, and, and I think you're right. I think, um, you know, policies and pers- and specific scripts, um, but even then, there are none of us could be experts on the the um the identification of every taxa or every species of every filer and uh confidently say oh yes that is definitely that and shouldn't be here and that one's not um so having the policy but also um trying to educate the staff about the likely sorts of animals that are um are going to to be presented as exotic uh, illegal exotic animals, so that um, they can work through the policy and come to the right conclusion.
1: Yep, I agree. I agree. Compl- so it's a it is a difficult um, subject, it's, and and it will be something every single exotic veterinarian certainly will be exposed to, regardless of what region of the world they are, and even non exotic pet veterinarians will potentially be um, exposed to an illegally kept pet and, and they need to decide what what their approach to that is but you know I, I think it you, you can having said what I said I think you can manage to convince some well I think maybe I'm, I'm fooling myself if if I, I'm thinking that but I think I have managed to convince some some um, pet owners to... To change their perceptions about whether or not they should be keeping them, you know, I think we're lucky in a way that we, you know, we mentioned about keeping that tiger or that that um, lion or whatever. That we're lucky in that um, I certainly haven't seen them or, or yeah. had phone calls about and you know. Um, whereas in a lot of areas of the world, that that may be the phone call that you receive, and thank goodness for that, that we're not exposed to that.
0: The last thing I would say, Brendan, is that, um, especially in New South Wales, but all over Australia, I think that um, the part of the government that deals with um, with uh, illegal exotic animals is the is the Department of Agriculture, and they have government veterinary officers. And my experience has been that they have been extraordinarily extraordinarily helpful when we've had. Um, a confusing issue or a confounding issue, a biosecurity issue, um, uh, exotic disease questions, um, those guys have been, um, you know, they're, they're vets just like us and um, they've been immeasurably helpful and uh, And I sing their praises and uh, recommend anyone who has questions about those laws in their jurisdiction to speak to um, the authorities that administer them In here in Australia, that'll be your uh, uh, government veterinary officer.
1: Yep, I agree. Don't be afraid of chatting to them, and they're 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 trying to do their job, and they're they're they'll try and help. You know, they're not they're not the enemy. Um, so and they can help you work through um some of those thorny questions and 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 dealing with those illegal exotic pet that's brought into you know. I and mean, the other one, you know, the other one that briefly we'll touch on of those animals brought in as wildlife. Um, so um the classic there that we. Exposed to red-eared sliders, mark, are occasionally oh, yeah. brought, brought into us that are breeding um, quite well um, in, in rivers and dams, etc. Here in Victoria, and um, you know, pest species, and um, we we euthanise them. But so that that's something slightly related to what we've just spoken. And I think there's some
0: um, there's some feral populations of newts uh, yep. in Victoria that are the result of um, illegal imports. Um, and yep. that become established so um and uh and certainly same deal applies Brendan talked to you uh, if it's a, a uh, an exotic feral um that's unexpected uh, brought in by a member of the public contact your sometimes the the government department will want the animal euthanized but stored in a specific way so they can test it for specific exotic diseases so that communication is absolutely critical with those species
1: yep phone a friend don't be afraid to phone a friend about help with that i think with that but well i'd love for us to receive some emails mark about this particular topic you know what we know it's uh, controversial tell us your opinion Yes, we won't We won't call out your name if you don't want us to um, or your email address certainly won't get exposed, but we'd love to hear some stories about what illegal exotic pet was presented to your vet clinic and what was your approach to it and what was the end result um, and when we can have a little chat about some of the um, experiences in the next podcast, Mark. Let's get out of here. Mr. Outro's here. We'll talk to you all next week.